tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Mac. There's no bigger icon in the world, I don't think, than the American cowboy. Cowboyism is very popular across the world. We created our television programs to preserve Western history. And over time, it has evolved into also preserving traditional American values. But what is, you know, what is the popularity of the cowboy come down to? It comes down to freedom. You know, freedom of choice, freedom to do what you want to do, courage, but at the same time combined with a good-natured helping of others and treating women properly. If you wear a cowboy hat, for example, well, I can tell you a story. Okay, I'm in uh, Colorado, and we're taping a show there, and I'm approaching the front door of the hotel. As I always do, I look behind me to see if anybody else is approaching that I can hold the door for. And there were a couple walking that were in a parking lot, but they were quite a distance away. But nevertheless, since I'm wearing my cowboy hat, I stay there at the door, and I hold the door open for them. Because you have a responsibility when you wear a cowboy hat. If you're walking with a woman down a sidewalk, you're on the outside of the sidewalk. You always say, yes sir and yes ma'am, or yes miss. It's traditional American values that have been bred into us, you know. Nobody's more important than anybody else. You know, we work hard and we respect other people. And that's, if you're wearing a hat, that's your responsibility. And if you divert from that, you got a problem. The farmer in the pot, they love it all over Australia. There's a radio show that Australians all know. If you're rich or you ain't got a cracker. They tell stories so grand of this vast timeless land and they call it Sunday with Macca. They all call it Sunday with Macca. Yeah, they all call it Sunday with Macca. Get on with it, Macca. I will. Good morning and welcome. I'm in Melbourne and loving it. I've been here for three or four days, four days, I think, or five days. And I'm going to go shopping today after the... It's just a great place to go shopping and it's a great place to eat. I just love it. There's Everywhere you go, little pubs and stuff, the food is... I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just fresh. But, you know, I don't mean fresh as in fresh made today. It's just, it's different, you know. But it's, I'm just enjoying it. But it's like uh, many of the big cities, it's under construction. And it'll be a nice place when it's finished. Wherever you go in Australia, the joint's being dismantled. It's just ma- unbelievable. But it's, we love it. Oh, look at this. A cup of coffee. Yes. Oh, thank you, William. Um, on the program this morning, all sorts of things. Um, we'll talk about your hearing. Uh, you'll meet some people that I've met on the road, wherever I was. Uh, we'll take you climbing. Uh, news of, I think there'll be news of Kieran, who's walking the John Muir Trail in Yosemite National Park, which I think is in Colorado. And, uh, and we'll talk to you, 1300 700 222, wherever you are. We had a call from, get this, early this morning from Pete. He's in... He said, hello, Ian, it's Pete here. I said, g'day, Pete. Uh, he said, uh, I said, where are you? He said, I'm in Hong Kong. I said, oh, right. He said, I've come over for three days. I just had a hernia operation, and my doctor said, you need to rest and recuperate and just relax a bit. So where's he gone? He's gone to Hong Kong. Duh. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, a uh, little bit of rain around Musselbrook in the Upper Hunter, um, where they need it. Um, yeah, we've had – and Richard was in Budapest and Sam got married and there you go. Marie says, 
Um, I'd like to thank service personnel and Vietnam veterans who joined local veterans at the commemoration in Gunnedah last Sunday. It was held for the first time under the gaze of the new Long Tan Cross mural painted on the Watertown Museum by artist Jenny McCracken earlier this year. Have you seen a photo of it? I, we, did we have a photo of that up on Facebook? The um, the water tower at Gunnedah with the... Well, I saw it. Where did I see it? doesn't matter. Anyway, it was a very emotional day, says Marie Hobson, and especially emotional for Neil and Faye Rankin, who travelled from Queensland. Neil was involved in the placement of the Long Tan Cross in Vietnam and is first on the left in the iconic image. Thanks to all, says Marie. Today is Father's Day. Today is also Wattle Day. Therese has sent this. It's, called, it's a little poem called Wattle Road. You arrive in August with a sprinkling like dew. By spring, a billion blossoms spill along the avenue. Golden wattle starbursts as brilliant as light, yellow orbs that shine in September sunlight. Pollen picked up with the wind floats in on the breeze. Flowing, flying, drooping, dropping, tumbling with ease. Cascading through valleys, trailing down mountains, wattle sprays are everywhere like golden fountains. Butter-coloured blossoms roll down my dusty street, shower me with gold dust. Wild wattle at my feet. Isn't that nice? Therese Ralston. Thank you, Therese. She says, I met you at Corindo Rain Dance last month, Mac. I had a top knot. Wasn't it a good night at the Royal Theatre in Corindo? The wattle this year, says Therese, is dry and dark yellow. There is very little of it after three straight years of drought in northwest New South Wales. That poem was written years ago in a good season. I hope I get to see the dirt road from the farm to Corindai lined with golden wattle again one day. Wattle blossoms are beautiful when when the weather is good. Well, everything's good when the weather is good, isn't it, Therese? That's the deal. Everything's good when the weather is good. Cath uh, Horsfield says, I, uh, Macca, I, as more than 220,000 Australians have signed their names... There would be many more who have not and have the same wishes. Just wish that once this government had some compassion and could break its own rules to afford compassion for a family that is terrified of being deported back to Sri Lanka. However, they have lived in Bilawila for years, have embraced and been embraced by that town, says Kath Helsfield. When the government is talking about taking immigrants to isolated communities, this has been done with great joy. Nandes worked as a trolley man and then at the local meatworks, a job no other Aussie wished for. Priya would take curries to the doctors who delivered her Australian babies. The kids were so loved by their surrogate grandparents, just taken away from them. I would just like to give a hats off to Angela Fredericks, who has informed so many people of their plight. Rallies everywhere tomorrow. They will be quiet. Just a sign, a message, or a little cockatoo, says Kath Horsfield. Thank you, Kath. Ray and Arnie at Yardi, uh, Yardi in Northwest, at Northwest Cape. Ray and Arnie, g'day to them at Yardy Homestead, sorry. And quickly, finally, <laughs> Martin says, uh, Morning, Macca. Just had to share this. Cooking bacon and eggs on the web of this morning, sun coming up over the hills hoist, magpies in the gutter watching me and you on the radio in the background. I couldn't get a more iconic Aussie Sunday morning. Yep, sun coming up over the hills hoist, magpie in the gutter. I mean, you can't beat it. I'm in uh, studios of ABC Melbourne. Um, I had an email during the week from a bloke called Michael, Michael Gallus. He says, good afternoon, this is Mick from Melbourne. Uh, about to become the first ever AFL coach to travel to Pakistan in September this year. That's 
couple of weeks, 16th, in my role as the National Pakistan Women's AFL coach to promote the game in Australia. Michael Gallus is in the studio. Good morning, Michael. How are you? Good morning, Maggot. Very well. Great to be here. And he's wearing his... What's that, what's that uh, shirt you're wearing? It's yeah, a, Pakistan Shaheens, who are sponsoring the trip, a Melbourne-based Pakistan group. They're the same colours as Australia, really, aren't they, Pakistan? They're sort of yellow and green, green and yellow. They are. It's funny how that, uh, that uh, works between us so well and yeah. uh, really... Uh, yeah, great way to promote sport, and uh, they love AFL over there. And well, yeah, tell me about that. I mean, um, soccer calls itself the world game, and yet here's the AFL, and I know the other codes too, rugby league and rugby union, they all want to, they're all expanding. I mean, AFL's going into China every year. They go to have matches up there, and, but I didn't know about Pakistan. Pakistan, tell me. Yeah, I was very lucky to coach their international women's team in 2017. The AFL run an international cup every four years. How long and have they been playing AFL in Pakistan? Well, I supported their men's team through the charity Footies for All, which I run in 2014. So uh, there's a few years there, mm-hmm. and um, we're looking to uh, further develop the game. And uh, to be able to do that, you've got to send the coaches over there so you can coach the coaches and then uh, encourage the players and yeah it's quite extraordinary that uh, 25 uh, young women from Pakistan flew to Australia in 2017 to uh, play in the International Cup and uh, their courage and their determination a lot of them hadn't been outside their villages nevertheless been outside their country Mm. and to get to Australia and play AFL was really quite extraordinary and was an honour and a privilege for myself to be their coach and can't wait to get into uh, fly into Karachi off to Multan to run a um, run some camps in uh, day long coaching AFL camps with uh, with men and women and now then up to Islamabad to uh, run some clinics in the local schools as well. So how long will you be there? Uh, ten days. So quite extraordinary. Looking to uh, uh, we're putting some meeting requests with the president Imran Khan to have a chat about what we're doing as well, which will uh, certainly be a great thrill of mine to meet such a great uh, sport and leader of his country. Exactly, exactly. So, Michael, tell me this. So you're off to Pakistan um, to coach the National Pakistan Women's AFL team. And and who'd have thought? I wouldn't... See, I didn't know they had a... a it's the last thing you'd think. Pakistan, you think of cricket and hockey and, you know, all sorts of other things. You don't think AFL, but there you go. It's, it's spreading its... Uh, it's tentacles, if you like, around the world, isn't it? It certainly is, and it's just so unique. I spent time in Fiji early this year with uh, Island Breeze Rugby Plus, Wonga Baravila, uh, running a rugby camp and um, got an opportunity to coach the AFL, 18 of the tw- or 20 of the best 18 to 22-year-old athletes across Fiji, in a tiny little village called Ruku Ruku on an island of, uh, of Ovalau, and they loved it, and they loved the game. It's, it's, it's a uniqueness, it's physicality, it's jumping, it's running, it's crashing and bashing, and that's what the girls love. They love the aggression. <laughs> they love the opportunity to, to give out their aggression. No other sport gives anyone that opportunity to play that way, and everyone that comes around the world and watches it and you deliver it to people they can't believe you're playing it they think you're crazy fiji traditionally rugby union isn't it it is it is Mm. but um yeah they they i think because you look at rugby union they've got the jumping and the leaping and they've got the kicking and they've got the running and um they just love the opportunity to tackle everywhere i go and i show them afl they just love the opportunity to tackle and that's what makes it so unique and, um, you know, the AFL can put more and the International Cup that they run is absolutely outstanding. Um, so what so, other, what other countries play AFL apart from Pakistan well, that would be shocked at? 
Yeah, Ireland are very strong. Ireland are very strong. Um, You've got USA. There's two or three teams that come every year from the USA. Uh, We've also got teams, Papua New Guinea are strong. You wouldn't think that uh, there'd be too many of them over there playing. They love their rugby league in New Guinea. Yeah, they're crazy for it. And you don't want to be tackled by the Fijians. The Fijians have got a strong um, international men's and women's team and uh, got leagues. uh, As I said, I was over there in February and spent time with their AFL um, organisation and that's up and running as well and uh, it's just spreading across the world. Yeah, you travel a fair bit with, uh, tell me firstly, what do you do? You're a teacher, right? Yeah, school teacher at Penley Essendon Grammar School. And, where's where's that? Uh, just in Essendon, not mm. for about 15 minutes from here, and mm. uh, been lucky enough to uh, teach there and coach there for 22 years, mm. and it's uh, through that, um, um, those opportunities, I saw kids getting through sport that I started a charity called Footies for All, and it's through those opportunities, totally voluntary, we go around Australia and across the world giving underprivileged kids opportunities through sport. And Nelson Mandela said Macca that uh, sport speaks to youth in a language that they understand. More powerful than race, religion and government in inspiring hope. And the great thing about Nelson Mandela and why he's such a hero to me and many people around the world is he, he backed it up and he united his country through the 1995 World Cup at the end of apartheid. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do. Give kids opportunities and, and really give them hope. Saying we care about you we're going to give you an opportunity to play sport and we distribute those balls that you you've uh, yeah. been lucky enough to get today to kids and that's all they want they want a footy they want a rugby ball they want a basketball they want a soccer ball and uh, we're going to have opportunities to do that at schools in uh, Pakistan as well which is just extraordinary well you better ring us from Pakistan you're leaving on the 16th so on the 22nd that's a Sunday I'm not sure what the time is you'll be earlier than us because the bloke who rang from Hong Kong this morning said he was two hours before, I think, or three hours. But anyway, you, uh, I'll work it you've out. got a number there. I do. Michael Gallus. Can't um, wait. Keep up the good work and ring us from, um, where will you be? Islamabad. Or Islamabad, somewhere. yeah. And a big thank you to the Pakistan Shaheen's community. And without them, I certainly wouldn't be That's over there. That's here in Melbourne. It is. And yeah. AFL Pakistan over there have sponsored my trip. And uh, it's amazing for them to it's have the It's amazing just set. to say that AFL Pakistan <laughs> is just amazing, isn't it? It is, Magga. I can't believe it myself. And, uh, uh, everyone who supports me around Australia through Footies for All, a volunteer organisation. Big shout out and thank you for your support. I can only do what I do without uh, your great support, so thank you. When I spoke to um, our friend in Mongolia, because the Mongolians are playing cricket, and he said to me, the Mongolians, I reckon, Maka, he said, we'll be playing in the World Cup, Cricket World Cup, because Afghan- Afghanistan played in the World they Cup. They do, they but do. He said, I think Mongolia, for God's sake, um, will be playing in the World Cup by... 2050, so that's in 30 years' time, and they're just starting cricket now. So, who knows? Maybe the AFL will be a you know, you'll be playing Pakistan in a you know, who knows? Who knows? Now, no, I'm sure we will. And uh, the great thing about sport and the great thing about AFL is that uh, it transfers borders, races, religions, and uh, gives it an opportunity to uh, to promote peace, and that's what we need in the world, Maka. Good on you, Michael. Michael Gallus has been my guest this morning. Thanks for coming in, mate. In the, he's in the Pakistan colours, which are the Australian colours, really, which is uh, dark green and yellow. And today, yellow is the wattle, and today's wattle day. Michael, good on you, mate. Thank uh, you. When you leave, take the headphones off, not like at the drive-in when you're driving <laughs> off with the, um, <laughs> with the speaker still in the window. Uh, and a great show, Mac. A real but great shout-out to yourself for uh, all the great work and the opportunity Thank to give you. Australians uh, the chance to tell their stories, mate. You're a legend. Yes, 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 yes. Good on you, Michael. Uh, ring us uh, on the 22nd, OK, from Islamabad. 
I'm talking to an Australian icon, Greg Mortimer, climbed Everest, climbed K2, done lots of things. How are you, Greg? I'm good, thanks, Mac. Lovely to see you. I talk to you once every five years or so. Now, tell me, what have you been doing lately? I've been around our home in the Hartley Valley a real lot, but I I just did a trip up to P&G. Why? I'm a pilot. I've got a little Cessna 182, and since I was a kid, I wanted to fly up there and fly around Australia and fly in New Guinea. So I went with a couple of mates from Bathurst up to New Guinea, flying around the highlands and around the coast, and it was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Landing on little grass strips on the Fly River and on the Seapik River and fishing for barramundi and catching 20 whopping big barrows in an hour. and Stuff of romance, when you mentioned the Seapik and the Fly River, places I've never, most of us have never been, and flying around the highlands just sounds like a dangerous thing to do, I suppose, but it was lovely weather, no clouds and all that sort of thing, or what? There's, few, there's clouds, yeah, there's clouds. <laughs> Fly above them. You've got to fly high, ten to 14,000 feet, which you can do in New Guinea, but in Australia you're supposed to have oxygen for above 10, but it's okay in New Guinea. That's the inversion level, as they call it, isn't yeah, it? That's about right. 10,000. Yeah, the, where the cumulo-limestone is, where you're out of the cumulo-limestone territory. It's such a fascinating, rich, culturally diverse country, you know, right on our doorstep. Complex place, you know, has a reputation and we met day after day, week after week, fantastic people. Beautiful people in villages out in the country, all over the highlands and along the coast. And we had an unusual end to the trip. We were looked after by a wonderful old aviator from Newcastle, a guy called Bob Bates. He was an engineer who went up there 50 years ago, has a travel business as well in New Guinea, and he was our brains trust. Last few days of our trip, we went into Mount Hagen, flew into Hagen, and we got a little he has a lodge above Mount Hagen going in the minibus up to his lodge out in the villages in the country and this tree came down in front of the minibus and this bloke jumped up to the driver you know, leaned in the window of, and, and ripped the keys out of the ignition and threw them in the bush seven guys with machetes and axes attacked us just jumped us <laughs> Did you call that an interesting experience? Well, it was unexpected. <laughs> and Look, it was a really quick, dirty episode. But well, they took your wallets and took stuff. Took everything, including the plane keys and yeah, absolutely everything, and let the tyres down. And Unfortunately... They've it, done that before, haven't they? They, they knew, <laughs> knew what they were doing, yeah. They were known to the local people, you know, the bad boys, these rascals. Unfortunately, they did chop up my mate with a machete, and he's fine. He had to have surgery on his arm to put his arteries and tendons back together in, in Mount Hagen. You know, 60 seconds of mayhem with some bad boys. Sounds a bit weird, but I, I, I would go there again in a, in a heartbeat. It's a wonderful country. It's interesting to hear stories like that, isn't it? People come home from travelling the world and they say, you don't realise what a great place you've got in Australia. And obviously, countries like PNG and when you look around, have got problems. Look, I, I think it's like everywhere. There's largely good people and some baddies, you know, everywhere. The level of violence in parts of New Guinea is rising to the surface a bit because they've got some crook coppers and crook politicians, it seems, um, and they're struggling a bit, but I think they're a fine people. Greg Mortimer, have you been going up to New Guinea for a long time? I mean, is this... Uh, you've, you've yeah, no, I have. Mm. had had an interest in New Guinea for a long time. From time to time, we've had calls from... Places like Kalimantan, a bloke had a, there was, was working in a mine up there and there, he said was it 14,000 feet or something, there was a big glacier there or something, it's a wonder you haven't climbed oh, it or something. Maybe West Irian, yeah. Irian Jaya. That's There's on the other Ka- side. Carsten's Pyramids, highest mountain in Australasia 
actually. Have you been there? Yeah, I went of there. Of course, with, why should with, I? We climbed it with Dick Smith, actually, oh, with Dick. Yeah, and James Strong, and yeah. I wonder, and, is the glacier still there? Someone asked, is the glacier still there? Not much left. Not much left. It's a stump, stump of some ice cubes now, rather than a glacier. There you go. Yeah, it's, it's right on the equator. There were only a few equatorial glaciers in the world, and they're essentially gone now. Yeah. Yeah. Greg, it's great to talk to you. Keep up the good work and always ring us when you're on the top of a mountain somewhere or doing something. You keep up your good work, Mecca. <laughs> we, we rely on you. <laughs> good on you, Greg. Thank Thanks. you. My guest this morning is a... Now, I'll, I'll get this wrong and he'll correct me. I think he's an otolaryngologist or gologist. Um, his name's Jack Kennedy. Good morning, Jack. Good morning, Mecca. Is, is that how you, how do you pronounce that? Otolaryngology, head and neck surgeon. Otolaryngology, see? There you mm. go, otolaryngology. I saw this word and I thought I've never seen that word before. And I thought, what do you call a bloke as an ENT bloke? E- 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 and Oto- otorhinolaryngology, ENT. <laughs> Rhino being the nose. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. Well, anyway, um, I'm in Melbourne on a great weekend because yesterday they had the Memsey, is that right, the Memsey? Did you go to the races yesterday? No, I didn't. No, I played yeah. golf. Oh, did you? <laughs> Because uh, I know uh, Jack, who's an otolaryngologist, so I, I thought it might be geologist, but gologist, otolaryngologist. See, that's a new word. Go and spell that. You look at, look it up, and you'll the whole world will be revealed to you. So, Jack, you've been a not- <laughs> you've been doing ENT stuff for how long? All your life? Uh, well, I, I graduated in 1963, mm-hmm. and I did general surgery. Got a fellowship in general surgery, and in 1969. I fluked a job in America for four years in Iowa City, Iowa, which was the mecca of ENT head and neck surgery in the the world. Mm -hmm. And I got a job there, and uh, I spent four years there with my wife and two kids and had another child while we were over there. Spent four years there and then came home. I've been going to talk to Jack for a long time. I ring him from time to time, and um, I know he's a a passionate football supporter uh, here in AFL land. And... uh, a passionate horse racing man, and of course an ENT otolaryngologist. Make it head and neck. Make it head and neck. Head and neck. <laughs> head and e- neck. ENT head and neck surgery. E- ENT. <laughs> but it's a great word. I thought, here's a word I've never come across that word. Um, yeah, but anyway, um, what would you have said to Johnny Dick um, about see this? This era we live in, certainly from the 60s, and I know there was probably industrial deafness years ago when people were working with jackhammers and stuff. They still have it. Yeah. Mm. But um, pop music, which sort of started in the 60s, I mean really loud music, um, Billy Thorpe and, you know, the Grateful Dead were who had this, who, whose claim to fame was they had these mountains of speakers going up to the sky mm. and and loud music, and now you see kids walking around, of course, with um, headphones on all the time, and that must strain the ears too. Oh, it does, Macca, that's right. The headphones are almost as bad as the loud music because mm. they play it so loud. You know, people are just walking around everywhere with those in their, in their ears, and and, uh, and, uh, and I complain that oh, things feel a bit dim, mm. and that's because they've got industrial deafness, really. And uh, I remember uh, Johnny, Johnny Dick, saying mm. to me he had this the, the tinnitus or the ringing in his ears. Yeah. He, mm. he had that and he couldn't get rid of it yeah. 
from a lifetime of playing really loud. I mean, that was their that was their badge of honour for Billy Thorpe. It was they were so loud, Correct, yeah. and just bad for the band, I suppose. I remember playing in a band one night, <clears throat> and I was in Sydney, and Daryl Summers came up. He was the act mm-hmm. on. So Daryl came up, and Daryl sang, but he also played the drums, but he had a drummer with him, and I was standing and playing guitar next to the drums. <clears throat> and the cymbals are worse than ever. The cymbals, when you hit those cymbals, and I remember coming off that night, and I thought, I'm never standing near a drummer again. Mm. We weren't Billy, Billy Thorpe. This was just normal yeah. pop music. <clears throat> but the cymbals just, yeah. It was just my ears were ringing for, you know, hours after. Um, terrible thing. So, and I see them, and isn't the ear, like the whole of the human body, it's a great engineering feat, isn't it? And the ear unbelievable, is the way it's structured and manifest. Isn't it? It's just a... It is. It's wonderful. And the, th- and the fact is that people will listen to loud noise and go to a concert or something like that, and they'll just have a, a dull feeling in their ear. Mm. And uh, and then and then they might have a little bit of ring in there, and then the next morning they're fine. It's like people working in, in noise will tell you that. Next morning they're fine, and then and a few months later they start to get the noise in the ear, tinnitus, mm. and away they go. You know, and that means you got the. And the first thing is you get that dulling when you listen to a really loud noise, and that's this start of industrial deafness. And is that on the increase now, or is it, you know, do you see young kids now, or is it mainly old people? Because I know older, you know, everything sort of falls apart as you get yeah. older. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my dad used to say. I would be sixteen, so I'd oh, you got a sore knee, Dad. And he said, "Oh, well, it's all downhill from here, mate." <laughs> <laughs> and I yeah. thought, huh? <laughs> no, it starts at a young age as well. Mm. Yeah, I see. I, I see people. I saw a young fella. You know, in the last couple of weeks, and, and he's only about 19 years of age, and he's just been listening to loud noise, and he'd had a really loud noise at a, 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 at a concert in Bingo. Mm. So he'll have that for the rest of his life. Uh, Jack Kennedy is my guest this morning, uh, otolaryngologist. <laughs> I can't stop saying that. It's a great word. It's, it's a great word. Tell us about um, your love of footy. You're a Collingwood man. You've been on the board and all those sort of things. On the board there for 22 years, yeah. And I'm now a patron. Mm. And what's going to happen in the finals? Um, oh, we'll win. We'll win. We'll beat you along and then we'll win the next time. No trouble. <laughs> Easy squeezy. <laughs> People are having paroxysms all around Melbourne. Now they're going, how dare he? How dare he? <laughs> well, you've got to support your team, haven't you? Whatever your team is, you've got to support your team and hope for yeah, the best. Yeah, this is serious. We'll, we'll, we'll go right straight. Really? Mm. Yeah, there you go. Play all the games. And the you've, you've had a you've had a vision about this, have you? In your sleep or something? In your mm, dream? You've dreamed yeah, it. You've seen yeah. it. You've seen no, no, dreaming about it. It's just a fact. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Tell me about. Tell me about Melbourne and football. I mean, I was in I was in Tasmania years ago, and there was a function on, and this lady said, she said, football's the glue that holds Melbourne together, and it is, isn't it? It's, it's a it's a mighty thing. I mean, you can go overboard about sport and be mad about it and stupid about it, mm. but. But there's something about it that that really does that that's part of the community, and it and it transcends sport, doesn't it? It's something about getting us together. You know, it's the the footy is the the glue, but it's not really the footy. It's something else. You well, know, that's yeah, what, yeah. Well, it's an unbelievable thing. Yeah, you know, it is, isn't it? And Collingwood's been an unbelievable sort of club over all the years. Yes, I'll say because I mean we didn't we haven't won the most, but we've been in more grand finals than most people. 
Yeah, yes. And Jack's so, boasting again. He, he won't <laughs> like me because my grandfather signed up Ron Todd from Collingwood to Williamstown, mm. oh. who was their best full forward probably ever. Fantastic. And he yeah. got more money playing for Williamstown than he did at Collingwood. And when, was, when were we talking about? Oh, Jack, and I think before the war. Cause oh, then, before the war, yeah. yeah. And then Toddy went off to the war, yeah. and then he came back. Uh, and I think he's nearly going to go back to Collingwood, but something happened. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, no, they used to get paid three quid. I remember Bobby Rose used to get paid three quid. And there were a lot of those fellas left. He went, he went to Wangaratta Rovers, where he got a, lot, a significant amount of, yeah, yeah. more money than that in the books. But it's changed, stuff. hasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Footy's changed. Country footy was a big part of, and it's not nearly as strong as it was. Um, and the same with rugby league and rugby union. I suppose there's much more, there's much more competition for everything now. Um, you know, much more. There's many more things kids can do, and um, I suppose. And uh, so there's not as many, many people playing the game. And they is look. I know rugby. I know Aussie rules has affected rugby league in in Sydney and Queensland because rugby it, league. Do they they play? Do they? <laughs> <laughs> Lindy's in Townsville. Morning, Lindy. Oh, hello, Macca. How are you? Look. Uh, I'm well, I'm well, and thank you. I I was inspired to telephone for the first time in 35 years of listening to you. I didn't even make it to see you. I was not well on the, last week when you were in Townsville mm-hmm. because you've got Jack Kennedy on. Mm-hmm. I sat bolt upright in bed. I've even had texts from my sister on the Sunshine Coast. Really? In August 1987, Jack Kennedy saved my life. And I'm just amazed that... You know, I've got the opportunity to say thank you to him. Uh huh. Well, you want to tell us the story, Jack? Uh, say good morning, Jack. Good morning. <laughs> you may remember Dr. Kennedy. You may not. It's your patients are you know longer than a piece of string. I was a young, <laughs> young wife and mother in Townsville, diagnosed. <clears throat> Fortunately, had wonderful friends, Jack, uh, Jill, and uh, Roger Wilson. Hi, Roger. They're probably listening. He was an ENT specialist here in Townsville and diagnosed this big tumour at the base of my skull, which he said, oh, this is all a bit a bit sort of beyond me as a solo practitioner. So he'd met Jack in, Ken- in uh, America at a conference in Alabama just previously, and he said, I know the best bloke in Australia to go to. So he sent me down to Jack, and on the 14th of August 1987, Jack operated on me. And I've been enjoyed very good health ever since. Thank you, Jack. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Lindy. Yeah, yeah. it was lovely. I just want to say hello to Jack. Thank you very much. Sometimes we never get the opportunities in life to say thank you to people we should. Exactly. And it's Father's Day too. Lindy, good on you, darling. And lovely Thanks. to talk to you. We'll you we'll too. see you. We're coming to Townsville again. We had a great time in Townsville. I bet you did, and I knew half the people you were speaking to. I think, oh, God, they're there, and oh, they're there. Oh, oh okay, so John Notting's still got a show. and oh, thing. It was you lovely. Go. Good it on you, lovely. Lindy. Great to talk. Cheers. See Thanks. ya. Bye. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm out on the, um, what would you call this? The pay show, really, here at ABC Melbourne. This morning I'm with uh, my guest, uh, Alan Colvin. How are you, Alan? Very good, Macca. How are you? Good. Alan's the son of John Colvin, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago. John was an ophthalmologist. All these long words this morning. <laughs> and uh, Alan, uh, Alan's sister told me, I said, what does, um, 
your brother, that's Alan, who's here with me this morning. I said, what does he do? He says, oh, he talks for a living. Uh, <laughs> so I said, you can't go far wrong with a bloke who talks for a living. Alan, welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you so much, Macca. Alan's working with a, a stick this morning and he's just had a hip replacement. Hip was here, second hip replacement. So I'm going pretty well for 55, having two hips replaced. But, um, you know, hopefully it'll set myself up for the next 20 years. I can do some travel uh, with my wife. Are you, were, you, were you a footballer or what? No, nah, nah, just unlucky, I think. Um, mum and dad never had any hip problems, brother, sister, cousins. No one's ever had a hip problem. And I've had two replacements by the age of 55, so just unlucky, I think. Things sometimes run in families and sometimes they don't, yeah, don't they? Yeah, that's it. That's it. So tell me, what do you do for a living? Well, I, um, I basically run courses. So I run leadership courses, you know, how to manage people because a lot of people don't know how to do that. You should pop down to Canberra. Anyway, go on. Yes, yes, I should pop to a lot of places. And the other thing I get involved in a lot is bullying, discrimination and harassment training. So we don't train people how to bully, discriminate and harass people, which is the anti-stuff. So we try and teach people how to um, deal with each other respectfully and, you know, respectful workplaces and all of that and try and avoid all these horrible situations that you read about in the paper every day. I wonder if that's... um if we just talk about it more or, in fact, if it's, uh, if, if it's happening more, I don't know. Oh, I think it's a bit of both. Um, I think there is, you know, a lot of awareness about it and awareness sometimes brings, it, brings more of it forward. You know, you often do the training and then there's more incidents that are brought forward because you've raised people's awareness. So, um, but it is, it is, a, it is a, a, a horrible situation and if anyone's been bullied, discriminated or harassed, it's a difficult place to be. But we go around, I go around, I have the great fortune to go around Australia. I think I've worked in every state except the Northern Territory um, doing, doing training. Oh, the best, best gig I ever had was about six weeks ago. I was on the Fraser Coast in Queensland, Harvey Bay. I'm sure you've been there. Bloody brilliant. They would finish it. We'd finish the day about four o'clock. And then at 4.15, I was in the water, returning calls on the mobile phone, walking up and down in, you know, knee-deep in water in 22 degrees when Melbourne's winter was 13 degrees, and it was just a fantastic... (laughs) Now, the reason I'm talking to Alan, Alan's father, John Colvin, was an ophthalmologist, as I said, and uh, I'll I'll briefly tell you the story. I think it's sort of right, paraphrase it. John Colvin, ophthalmologist here in in, uh, Melbourne, and um, taught a lot of students... Um, about eyes because part of being a doctor, whatever you uh, might specialise in, is you've got to learn about everything. So uh, John Colvin gave lectures on on the eye and all those sort of things to many medical students. Um, It was about 1968, 67, 68. A couple of American astronauts were here. Um, I'm not sure who it was. Was it Alan Shepard or Walter Shearer? One of them anyway. They were here uh, giving talks John Colvin was interested in flying because he was worked with the RAAF and he was interested. So he went along and he listened to these blokes talking and he thought, well, gee, they had a problem with glare. When they get up there in the rockets up near the sun and whatever, they have a problem with glare. And he said, so at the end of the lecture, yeah, don't you love that about people who have sort of got that? He says, I think I can do something about that. So he pops up the front and says, look, I think I can solve your problem with glare. And he did. And he thereby hangs a tail. But, and I, was, I introduced Alan Colvin to Jack Kennedy and Jack said, oh, yes, he, he was my lecturer. Is that right? Correct. That's correct, yeah. Tell me about him. You Tell me your... <clears throat> he was a wonderful man, most clear lecturer, and could explain things in a very simple way, which is very important. Especially to medical students. Yeah, especially medical students on a Saturday morning after Friday <laughs> night. 
<laughs> they all attended. Sorry. They all attended. It wasn't absolutely, it was sort of compulsory, but people used to turn up to his lectures. Yeah, there, you go, there you go. Uh, and uh, his son, Alan. Now, um, you've uh, you've uh, got a lot of stories. He's given, you've given me a lovely photo. What's this, the photo? I'll try and put it up on Facebook, a, a copy of it. What's the photo? Oh, it looks just, you know, I think I, when I spoke to you last time, Mac, we talked about there's a whole, Dad's got a whole lot of space stuff and he's got a whole lot of photos at home, so... There's a photo there that was of an astronaut, you know. Um, outside the ship? Outside the ship, you know, looking back when he was up there. So, With the glasses on? Uh, not with the glasses on, no, I don't think so. But, um, yeah, so we've just got hundreds of those photos at home, so I thought I'd bring one in for you. You can, uh, you can take that as a little memento. Um, but, yeah, Dad got involved in a, in a couple of other things. Um, when, it, when he got back, he was training all the students. And then um, I'll tell you the story about how, why, you, why we wear... Um, uh, sunglasses when we go to the dentist. So, um, you know, Dad was, uh, you know, he, to us he was just Dad. You know, he'd go off and, and have his, do his job and then he'd get home and tell us stories about his job. And there was three things he said to us. First thing, you're not going to play squash because the highest cause of eye injuries in the 70s and 80s in Victoria was squash. Wow. Yeah, so he said, you're not playing squash and if you do, you've got to wear protective gear. Second thing is we said, we're going to have a dog, we're not going to have a cat because the second largest cause of eye injuries in Victoria was cats, right? So he said, right, you know, we're, not, we're having a dog. So we, we had a little cocker spaniel. Uh, and then the third thing he said was, you've got to watch it when you go to the dentist. You've got to be very careful. And we're like, what, why is that? And he said, well, three things happen. He said, firstly, sometimes they put antiseptic stuff in your uh, creams and um, lotions in your mouth to deaden the, the pain and stuff. And occasionally they'll drip in your eye. Secondly, the needles and tools and drills and stuff occasionally will scrape the cornea of the eye. And thirdly, when they're doing the fillings and putting the amalgam in and, and you know, scraping and shaping the tooth, little bits of tooth or little bits of amalgam will go in your eye. And so he was quite upset about that because he would see way too many people who'd go to the dentist and come walk out with an eye injury. So he said, right, I'm going to fix this. So in 1978, he wrote a, um, an article that went in the, 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 dental, the Australian Dental Journal and uh, he did a speaker series and then all of a sudden they said, right, as, as a band of dentists, we are going to make it mandatory that everyone wears um, sunglasses. So everyone thinks you wear sunglasses because of the light. You know, they, they shine the light so they can see in your mouth and that's partly the reason because it does um, stop the... the um, the, the, the rays of the light getting in. I wear them as a fashion statement. Well, exactly, exactly. But uh, it's not really a great fashion statement, depending on how cheap they are. But uh, it's really there to protect your eyes. And so, you know, I can't think of how many, how many eye injuries he's prevented since, uh, since the 1980s. Uh, Jack could probably tell you more than me. But he will. He's just... He's, you got a thought on that, Jack? Oh, that fan, yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. He, he introduced all these things. Mm. Yeah, Fantastic. listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.